Hello and welcome to Three Books with Dui. I am your host, Dui Lemi Awulalu, and my guest for this episode is David, popularly known as Afro God. David is the product design manager at Flickpay, a fintech company that provides cross-border payment infrastructure. He has worked as a product designer at Andela, where he helped design the first version of their talent search engine. David is also a musician and an Afrofuturistic visual artist. Um, Afro God, what's up, bro? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm trying to be okay. Had a very stressful weekend. Um, so I'm just trying to use this day to rest. Um, record the podcast and um, do other things. So how how has your week been? Yeah, my week has been intense. Um, but then thanks to the weekend, right? I'm just unwinding. Mm. Um, so so it's a Sunday, and I typically like those days because it's just it comes with like um a whole lot of just like thinking about the week and just like um in, you know just being relaxed and just kind of like you know having a laid back vibe. Yeah. So yeah. That, on the contrary, was... for me, I I just hate the fact that I have to plan ahead. I, I have to plan for the week ahead. I, I hate it. So to do right. that on Sunday, <laughs> just just the mere thought of going back to work on on Monday is so annoying. That's the only thing I hate about 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 Sunday. But anyways, um, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> it's one of those things. Okay, so um, what what are your three books? Okay, so my three books. Um, the first is The Sovereign Individual by yeah. James Dale Davidson and William Rees Mogg. Um, the second is The Music Lesson by Victor Wooten, and the third is You Are the Universe by Deepak Chopra. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Fair, fair enough. Those look, those books look like um really heavy books, <laughs> really really heavy books. So which one do you want to go 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 with first? Which one do you yeah, want to talk about first? I'll I'll start with the sovereign individual. individual okay, think. okay, makes yeah. sense, makes sense. Um, so I read I read a bit on on that book, and um, it's it's one of the most intriguing. And I'm not even capping. I'm not trying to exaggerate or anything. It's one of the most intriguing books I've ever read. Even though I've just read like the first, um, 200 pages. But it's, it's quite, quite intriguing. But just, just tell, tell us, tell us about the book. Um, why the book stands, stands out for you amongst all the other books you've read. Yeah. So the sovereign individual, um, is, I mean, like it's one of, I think it's the best book I've read so far. Um, it's kind of like, you know, touches on, on the ideals of, you know, how the world has been, how countries have like, you know, evolved or how, you know, communities have evolved in like their different shapes. And like right now, the major way how, you know, like we kind of organize, um, is in countries, right? Formally. And, you know, it sort of predicts or like just shows like, you know, the way countries or like governments should evolve um and and so like it was just basically like this book that predicts um the rise of something called the sovereign individual which is you know um basically what happens in the future when sovereignty has been transferred from the country or the nation state 
um, to the individual due to technological um, advancements. Yeah. So, so you know, like it, it basically like you know then goes ahead to like explore deeper. Okay, why in fact you know like should this be a trend? And then you'd find out that over time there are certain like like trends that have happened over time, and then there's a there's a major um like you know like a major trend that happens where um when you have like new technologies um sort of like coming in to yeah to divorce like older you know like older forms of of living and like moral standards mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. of those um you begin to see like a shift a shift that seems you know sort of common all through time um with you know like either people like be- begin to like become more aware of like you know the control schemes that are going on or you know like um being able to like use the power that technology um affords them yes. to then sort of like contest the the older like forms of of power mm. and you know would see that over time in like um the rise of the printing press um you know like all or the democratization of the printing press really yeah like how yeah. how how the church was pretty much like had a monopoly on knowledge and information knowledge, yeah. yeah and power yeah. basically exactly and so you know that technological advancements that the printing press and brought in kind of like gave everyone access to books right i mean like spreading information and enlightenment then became a thing of you know like just pretty much like paper ink and you know you can have it spread across like um you know as as many people as ultimately you would yeah it was just like the church um that was in charge of disseminating info yeah and so and so of course like you know i mean like because the church had like so much power um and then that sovereignty that they had so to speak was being transferred to you know people who so, could, like, to like take advantage of, of so like the, the yeah. government okay so so yeah, um yeah. The, the thing the thing i i found out one thing that i i've noticed um all through my study of history and even reading this book um tells me that um there's this proclivity in human beings to like um defer our sense making our, our ability to sense make of make sense of the world to mm. certain people or to, to a certain authority um yeah. so this, this is what i mean um if if you, if you look back in time after the hunter gathering societies we had um the agricultural revolution and yeah. most people were farmers and the most successful farmers so to speak were usually like the the most powerful basically right mm. and some of them become kings mm. and the the people now elevate them like to this godlike status mm. and then more more or less just defer the ability to sense make to those few people all right okay this man was able to maybe um cultivate corn for instance um better than other people so we think he he knows something about cultivating corn than everyone else so let's since he has that superior knowledge i'm just giving an example since he has that superior knowledge let's defer um sense making to him let him keep making the cons we'll give him what what he needs to make all the cons for us as far as he, as he shares it for all of us right mm-hmm. yeah and then we have kings that become so powerful 
But one one trend I've noticed is um difference as, as I mentioned, difference of sense making, the ability to sense yeah. make, and then dissatisfaction because obviously power corrupts, right? To get to a point where those people that were at the top that yeah. had sense making deferred to them and they were maybe at first doing it um efficiently, but now because of the power, so much power become corrupt and then become makes people around them dissatisfied with that. And then that that causes disdain, right? Yeah. Discomfort, yeah. disdain, and they want to demolish the order at the moment. Like revolt yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. So that happened, um revolting, revolting, revolting. But there was something something um that was very unique that happened um a couple centuries AD. No, maybe about a a century or two centuries AD after the death of Christ, the, the establishment of the church, um, yeah. that came to disrupt the, what's it called? Um, the, the Roman Empire at the time. Do you understand? Yeah. Um, people were tired of having an emperor, right? Having mm-hmm. a king that had supreme power over everybody because they, they, they deferred their sense making to that person and elevated them to the status of God, right? Yeah. And then yeah. there was the church. And as that circle, I mean, that cycle, um, discomfort, disdain, you destroyed their all, that order, and then the church came about. To, and yeah. the church, the first couple of centuries was, was very efficient in its, in its, um, role, right? Yeah. People deferred their sense making to the church. Let the church interpret the Bible for us. We don't need to be able to read, do, do you understand? We don't need to read yeah. the Bibles ourselves. We, they deferred sense making. Let the church give us Tell us things to do because the church is in a better position to do so for us, yeah. right? Yeah. And then the church became corrupt, like, um, I think before the Renaissance, um, after the Renaissance, and there was like the, the, the downfall of the church because it was getting extremely corrupt. Then, mm. as you said, the emergence of printing press, democratization yeah. of, 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 of printing press and, and knowledge basically. All right. Yeah. And yeah. then that's, that's started the enlightenment period, the enlightenment era. And I think mm-hmm. 17th um, century. And yeah. then there was, um, democracy, right? The establishment of government, basically. Um, yeah. and then we, we deferred all our sense making to the government. Yeah. Like from the beginning of, um, of America, <laughs> basically, yeah. do you understand? Yeah. And yeah. then there was, um, stuff we had at the federal government. Then there was, um, concept like capitalism, communism. And deferring all our sense making and our our autonomy to the government, and it became so large, and we saw the government crumbling. Twentieth century, like this system is is already terminating, and there is this new order of things, like yeah. as you mentioned, this information age, and that was what they because when I was reading, I was seeing that trend. Now there's yeah. a period of discomfort and disdain. People hate the government so much now. People hate. Do you understand? So and then the new yeah. order of things, the new thing that would just come to take the place of the government is most likely um, this cyber space that was being mentioned in the book. But yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's just my observation. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, that's an interesting one. I kind of, like, really like um, the fact that you put it in perspective, right? Just, like, yeah. cascading from, like, where we came from as, like, you know, from the point of being hunter-gatherers, yeah and just like up to this point where we are and it's so interesting right that you know this difference of sense making is something that is common like even today of course right 
Yeah. Um, and then I think like generally it's because like the way we aggregate as communities and like form these concepts of, you know, either like a, a, a civilization, like a, a community mm. or a yeah. village or a country, those are like, you know, um, hundred year trends or like, in fact, like thousand year thousand trends. Thousand year, yeah, yeah. You know, and then at the end of the day is that you have like lots of these cohorts of like, you know, pop, of pop like being born and like generations that come in just like in the middle of those trends mm -hmm. and you kind of find out that because ultimately the mainstream thing is to defend knowledge um then you know children that kind of come into the system are programmed um you know like to keep like deferring um that sense yeah making, um to the government and so it's usually hard to like zoom out right yeah. Um, but then, like, you know, it's not so far-fetched that, you know, countries were, countries were formed, they were thought of as, like, you know, as an idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, democracies were birthed from that ability to be able to, like, zoom out and, like, mm -hmm. observe the trends and, like, you know, see where it's heading to. And, and I think, like, you know, one thing also, um, just based on that, is that there is a, there is a contract between you know, like the states, um, nation states and the individual, yeah. right? Um, I mean, like there's a social contract for the most part. There's a relationship. There is, you know, what the government is meant to do for you um, in order for you to be able to, you know, like, I, I mean, essentially the government is like providing a service to you, right? Uh -huh. But then what we have now is that governments do not necessarily like do that um you know governments ultimately like they have they just treat populations like you know victims of a shakedown rackets mm. and you know they are ultimately like meant to serve individuals like customers now i think like it's it's an interesting one right relating to that as as nigerians right mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know like yeah it's it's crazy because what we see now is sovereignty is being abused in like the most I, I think like in the most glaring ways yeah. just between like last year and like this year yeah. and it sh it shows that you know okay so you either have like you know mis misuse of resources and then you kind of do not have like you know ongoing conversations or let me say like more visible actions of individuals trying to seize power um from the government i think like it shows you know, just like the the dire state of how, you know, like a government could misplace sovereignty mm. and how like the individual at the end of the day is like anyone that is born into Nigeria sort of has a ceiling over their head, right? Um, yeah. Based on how well the government can perform and like, you know, bring color to the lives of people. So it's, you know, like that whole like relationship between government and individuals isn't something that is so aware you know like to a lot of people it's just like oh yeah you know we have these rules and then you know um we're just going to i mean i was born into a world of rules and exactly I was trained, it, it's you know. so hard to to yeah. zoom out yeah like zoom out come out of that um structure and now like see the structure itself and try to like conceptualize where we are in as as you said the the the, the relationship between the the government and people is basically like a contract 
right? Yeah. So yeah. it's it's hard. It is kind of hard sometimes to like where you are and try yeah. to zoom out and see yeah. that such. Yeah. And I think I, even the governments, are, especially Nigerian government, are starting to they've, they've forgotten that it is a contract. It is not your birthright. It is not. Yeah. It, it, this is not how it has always been. been do you understand? Yeah. It is we people willingly gave you guys the ability yeah. to do certain things for us. So you are meant to serve us as customers. Yeah. If you if you sort of like put a magnifying glass over that concept of yeah. you know the social contract. At the end of the day, like these things started over time in history and evolved to be a relationship of like security. Right. Yeah. Um and so like if we look at let's say Maslow's hierarchy of needs, for instance, at the mm-hmm. base level, we have like just you know, the kind of things that just enable like physical safety. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, like one of the things that governments around the world like largely do. Um, that is why we have like a police force, right? Yeah. Or we have like, you know, armed forces in generally, whether like police or military or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and then at the end of the day is that, you know, things like banks come out from that social contract, right? Mm-hmm. A, a bank is regulated by a government to yeah. be able to secure your assets for you. And, you know, you trust, you trust the government to be able to, you know, um, give you like what belongs to you at any point in time. And over time, you, you find out that, you know, because the government is ultimately like the guarantor of security, yeah. they then, you know, like have this um, monopoly of violence, so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, right, that was meant to be a good thing because, you know, we do not necessarily need to like, you know, fight every time and like, you know, shed blood because yes. we have differences. We could just also defer that, you know, to, to the, the government. government. Yeah. So to there's them. like a reduction of, of violence, so to of speak, violence. relative exactly. to previous times before government. Um, exactly. Establishment. And so that concept of violence is also something that the sovereign individual explores, right? Um, how how the relationship with violence and technology exists and, you know, ultimately, like, how it will change. So the idea is that, you know, microprocessing, as I mean, like, the core function of technology yeah. um, would eventually, like, increase in power. And as it increases in power... It gives like you know um, individuals like more of a choice. They can be able to exit. You know, there's there this concept of um, voice voice versus exit that that Balaji Srinivasan talks of, okay. which is just basically like you know we, the way we aggregate in in small groups is like you know you have groups coming together around like a common voice, yeah. and then eventually you have you know like different people who want to exit yeah. and. At different points, you could have, like, for instance, you know, um, whole generations who aggregate around a new voice and attempt to exit from, you know, like the predominance, like uh-huh. voices that have, that have been there. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like when you try to exit and then the government does not see an incentive in that, then they transfer that aggression or like that monopoly of violence to you. And, hmm. you know, um, and and so like you have governments like misplacing their sovereignty to control 
you know, to be able to like control people to do ultimately like what they want. But then microprocessing um, is, is pretty much like giving people like um, different like forms of technology and innovations that give them more freedom. Yeah. So for instance, um, at some points there was somewhat of a, a monopoly of, of voice, right? In, in the sense of like news um, stations, you know, releasing like all the information that the public yeah. should should have and then those news um, stations were pretty much like um, guarded by the regulations of the government and yeah. ultimately dictated and so it became like an efficient propaganda m- machine yeah so um, news is just basically um, um, right. narrative warfare basically you know exactly that that's actually like a great definition um, so so eventually right you have you, you find out that now people have like alternative sources of information apart from the television yeah. right they have like social media i mean it has its own like um like say constraints also in terms of like propaganda and like being swayed but then for the first time like people can actually go do their research for for themselves right mm-hmm. sort of real time you could you know, um, for instance, there's something going on between like um, Israel and the Israel Palestine. Israel and Palestine, yeah. Exactly. And so like now, you know, people can pretty much like go actually like look or look for objective information from like yeah. all parts and see, you know, which sides they decide to believe in. Yeah, I, 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 would, well, I would like to talk on, sorry for cutting you, I would like to oh, talk yeah, on sure. that, um, yeah. the objective yep. piece of information. Get an objective piece of information um, from the cyber from cyberspace. Um, yeah, I'd like to talk on that because um, I don't think that is entirely the case. Okay. Um, which I want us to branch. I want us to like talk talk a lot more on this mm. um, because I I noticed in the book the book gave a more optimistic view of the future. Right? Yeah, it yeah. was basically optimistic. And personally, because I wanted to talk about um, this aspect, like what do you see this millennium turning out to be? Mm. Um, do you, I, do you have a pessimistic view? Because personally, I have a pessimistic yeah. view of of this of this generation, um, yeah. of this millennium. Interesting. So why why I said I don't I don't really agree on that objective view of um, of information? I think right now. There's something yeah. like, like I call the information, information ecology. The information ecology right now is very polluted, right? Mm-hmm. In the okay. sense that, um, this basically information is, has a comparative advantage when you have information, certain information that other people do not have. Yeah. Um, is a comparative advantage, but mm-hmm. it is a comparative advantage in a right, what you call a rival risk. Um, okay. type system. So capitalism, for example, is a rival risk, um, di- like has a rival risk dynamics in the sense that um, I have to know something that you do not know that will give me some sort of comparative advantage that will make me yeah. make mon- more money than you. Do you understand? Yeah. But yeah. what even gives you even more comparative advantage is when you even disinform people. For example, let me give a small scale example. So imagine I'm in a small, um, like me and my family, let's, let's say like the hunter gathering society, just a small bunch of people. And there are other small, smaller bunches of bunch of peoples are people around. Yeah. And we, there's shortage of water, but per adventure, someone in my own bunch 
found a very small oasis, but yeah. is only is going to be limited for just one bunch, one particular family. Yeah. So not only would I want to hide that information from the other bunch, but I also want to misinform them and tell them that okay, there is I found water in so 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 place, so that it would take them out of yeah. where the water is, and me and my family can um can use that water. Do you understand? Yeah. That's a very that's a very small um small analogy, I think. Mm. So in a capitalist society, what if apart from having information that other people do not have, what even gives you greater comparative advantage is when you misinform people misinform. or when you yeah. pollute the compa- when you pollute the information ecology. Yeah. The thing now with increase in technology is that we have been able to exponentially do that. Yeah. Do you understand? Exponentially we've been able to not just get more information, but also be able to misinform people at a very large scale. Do you understand? So we see all that happening here and there in the sense that everybody having, I'm not saying capitalism is entirely bad, right? I'm not saying it's bad, but this is one of the issues. The sense that capitalism is self-terminating when you have an exponential growth, exponential growth in tech called exponential tech, right? Yeah. So we have more and more, um, what's it called? More and more capacity to improve on in certain area to hurt other people or to have information. So that's why I do not agree that because mm. you could be in cyberspace trying to get information. Basically, all you find is these jargons. Do yeah. you understand? For example, yeah. a very good example is the Joe Biden and um, Donald Trump election. At both ends was just just jargons. If you want to listen to CNN, it's jargons, just mm-hmm. rubbish. If you want to listen to Fox News, it's entire is rubbish. Do you mm-hmm. understand? So no matter where you want to go in cyberspace, right? Yeah. You see lots of rubbish. That is where I think um, I am a little bit very pessimistic yeah. of, of this society yeah, because of the growth of technology yeah. and the mixture. Of pest- so basically, I see it as um. What do I call it? Um, sorry. What do I call it? What do I call it? Like capitalism or a rival risk dynamics plus okay. exponential tech is self-terminating. I don't see, I don't see anything positive on yeah. the long run coming out of it. Cause I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I might be wrong, but I've, I've thought deeply about it to see if there's any optimistic thing that can come out of, 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 of this phenomenon yeah i i mean i think the rival risk concept is quite interesting right um at the end of the day it's still all about like resources and like how we share them yeah and yes. to an extent going by that you can establish like a linear relationship um between that and like you know information or yes. you know the accuracy of information one thing one thing i i think what makes me optimistic is that we are in the process of like an evolution right and mm. i don't necessarily think that maybe like the way things exist in the present yeah will will dictate ultimately like how how you know like it eventually goes and so like what i kind of perceive with that is that um technology like brought so much leverage right in the form of just like one concept of access to people Right. And so, you know, like with the current setup of technology, um, most sources are centralized to an extent. Right. Sovereignty 
does not only exist in the form of like a nation, right? You could have like, yeah. let's say, a news, um, a news outlet sort of like, sort of like CNN or Fox, I'm having like some sort of sovereignty over like, you know, the collective of like um, people or community that, you know, are drawn to the information that they provide. And as such, it's easy for them to, you know, like let their biases sort of sway people. Yeah. But why I'm kind of optimistic generally, right, is because I think like even while technology right now, I mean like Facebook, Twitter, like social media generally is like the perfect outrage engine and the perfect engine for virality and like the spread of disinformation. Yes. I mean, like we saw it in Trump's election, right? Yeah. Um, you know, just pretty much like spewing out like certain narratives, yeah. Um, that you know, pretty much shifted people. But I think like the core problem there is verifiability, right? And mm. I think like at the end of the day, right, we are still in this whole process of evolving from you know um you know the television stations yeah and like you know all these centralized social media platforms um, yes. and all these like centralized media platforms also and what i believe is that verifiability in the future will become almost default right mm. which is that eventually you might you will be able to point to the source of 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 any piece of information so it's like similar to how like you know google exists today and like twitter yeah. exists today you can pretty much like search for information but at the end of the day you are at the risk of disinformation yeah it's because generally technology has is still in the process of swallowing up the world so to speak right and so at at some point in time for every piece of content created there would be like a direct like linear track of like you know a history of, you know, like but, how but do you, you think, do, do you yeah. think with um with technologies like deep fake it would be yeah. easy to be able to track if it's um if it's legit or not yeah so it's hard to tell right because to an extent we do not know you know like how deep fakes might evolve or rather like what counter technologies might be developed yeah. for them I think like deep fakes make the disinformation thing like so much harder and honestly like quite very very scary right um i feel like at the end of the day deep fakes of course like standard risk of um being used to even like launch like you know whole like cyber warfare on like entire entire groups of people like states or you know countries and and, and stuff like that but then i think that's in fact, like already, right, there is technology to be able to detect deep fakes, right, mm. um, to a large extent. But then the core problem is still, you know, at the point where whatever original version of the video was created, that a deep fake is then being used to like misinform people. And so when there is like, right now, it's not easy for people to point to sources of information because yeah. that's how the internet has that's the architecture of the internet, right? Yeah. But then eventually people will be able to point to every source of information. And so at some point, at the point where you are looking at a deep fake, right? It's possible to be able to then like find where the original source of the video is. And, you know, if the original source of the video um, then becomes like a party that is not recognized as, 
you know, um, having domain expertise on that particular, yeah. um, you know, um, topic, then at that point, it's easier to anticipate, um, you know, like these. But then at the end of the day, right, these are still abstract. It's kind of hard to be able to wrap our heads around, you know, the fact that technology features amplified like this information and a lot of like, you know, the way our civilization has, is beginning to like tilt sideways due to this yeah. information. It's hard to then see that as like what will come and save, you know, like us. But then why this is interesting to me is it still like, you know, talks into like one of the predictions of the sovereign individual, um, which is about like, you know, economies and, mm. you know, how basically, um, you know, sovereignty, not just in form of like the monopoly of violence might be transferred to people, but then you're going to have like a world where um, individuals pretty much like have control over like the, or rather have more exposure to, you know, like places that things that, that could be verified, right? So yeah. with with something like um, like Bitcoin, right? So you find out that love communities that are interested a lot of a good portion of the bitcoin community and and the crypto community are quite like um heavy fans of the sovereign individual yeah so, um, sorry before before you come into that because i was all i was already trying to um talk oh yeah make us talk oh, about yeah. cryptocurrency before you come into that um, oh, okay, i would like yeah, yeah. everyone to check so uh check out your your twitter um page um, at okay. afrogod yeah Okay. I think with two Ds at the bar, at the end. After yeah. God with two Ds, yeah. So yeah. you you put out something yesterday that was very intriguing. Um the metaphor like a metaphorical story that yeah. gives a small explanation of the dynamics of cryptocurrency, the government and, and the people. It was very, very nice. Nicely put in, as as a short story. But like you. can 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 you um talk about it here? Can you let, let's yeah. talk more on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'll just like, you know, tell the story. Um, so this story is a tale of a technical boarding school, right? And there's, there's a group of 40 students and, and, you know, someone in their midst who, who turned out to be their menace. And, you know, that person would call, would call him senior man. And so senior man was like this person, you know, older, bigger with broad shoulders, you know, the leader of the hostel. Um, so senior man would typically like, you know, separate arguments, beat up thieves, um, and just pretty much like do the, do the work of like, you know, um, sort of like being the person that will exert like, you know, some sort of like physical order um, to things. And so as time moved on, you know, the students will have to do everything through senior man. If they needed to send letters to each other, they would write them, they would send it to senior man, and then, you know, senior man will deliver. And the reason, the only reason why they really agreed to that was because senior man was going to guarantee the fact that, you know, anyone who was planning some sort of thefts, any groups that were trying to like, um, sort of like, um, sort of like plan some violence against like some students, um, senior man will be able to anticipate them being that centralized middleman, um, and then we'll be able to like you know look through the letters, ensure that every every letter is not um, violent, and then pass it on to like who who needs who needs it. 
Um, but then, you know, like a, a few years later down the line, phones then became a thing among the students. Students could now send messages to each other online. You know, um, they could now like, you know, do all these things like just like directly with each other. But then thieves are increasing because, you know, they could now plan to steal easily. Like the phone was there, you know, they could mm -hmm. easily just directly have that communication. And after much losses, like the students now had to rethink of like, you know, everything. And then, of course, like, you know, senior man made himself available because of, you know, his history of being able to like yeah. be that middleman, you know, to them. And then what did senior man do? Senior man then decided to create an app, right, called Order OS. And then Order OS was, you know, the app that was going to allow educate and still do what they needed, like um, people, the thieves that were planning, you know, some sort of theft. And, you know, everyone was happy because the theft rates drops down, you know, and everything. But then now um, through, through this other OS app, right, senior man would review and approve messages if they, if they needed to exchange notes, you know. Um, but then at the end of the day, he would still decline anything that doesn't align with what his desires are, yeah. you know, because he had control over like the flow of information. And so, you know, senior man, even when they needed to like send money to each other, senior man would take like a huge cut out of, you know, how much they were, how much they were sending to each other. And so the, stu the students were like so tied to senior man in this sort of toxic relationship um, where they, I mean, at the end of the day, they still had to rely on senior man. Um, even though they didn't like, you know, what senior man was up to. And so like, you know, um, something how int interesting happened on a chilly evening where students got a message from, from someone called Lamy, right? And Lamy was really like, um, you know, someone who just pretty much like sent a message to people with this software, piece of software called LinkUp, right? And so what LinkUp, was going to do was it was going to link every student's phone together and enable them send money without senior man influencing his own will on them right yeah. and it was interesting because you know link up will also store a record of everyone's phone you know all their accounts balances and all of that um with the, in a way where you couldn't really see you know um who owned what amounts you know you just see like um something random right yeah. and so like um this this like you know looked like something that was kind of um it's kind of like interesting right and you know senior man became angry because you know people got interested in 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 link up and senior man started looking you know started doing a witch hunt for lamy um but then there was no one in the, in the class called lamy eventually right <laughs> after much searching um yeah. And then what that tells us is really someone had covered their identity to release link up, right? And it was so it was it then became like you know this whole this whole revolution in the in the school because you know students could now use link up to do like way much more than you know the era of when they would have to like send letters to senior man and then he will approve. And it also seemed like way beneficial to the people. Um, much more than order order OS, which was that app that senior man um had created, right? Um, and so you know there were different apps like you know an app called Game Me, 
that students would you know like used to play games with each play other on link each other yeah yeah there was an app called lend me allow them borrow and lend money you know there was an app called give me that allows students like send money to each other so the community was just booming you know there was lots of communication everyone was making money and you know all of that was ha- all of that action was happening without senior man right and you know at even different points in time senior man would try to like corner students and like seize their phones and all of that yeah and yeah. get his cuts from link up but then at the end of the day, right, senior man only had two two hands and two feet. There was only like so much that senior man could do in like, you know, capturing a bunch of students that, you know, also had their own feet and like more agility to be able to like run away. Yeah. Um, and then every phone on, on LinkUp really like had everyone's accounts backed up safely. So even if you, you know, your your phone was taken away from senior man, you already rest assured that your phones were, were secure because you know everyone has a copy of that on their phone so they already know like you know what's what you have um on link up and so eventually right um you know students came in more students came into into the school you had more people using link up and senior man um you know had become had been reduced to like irrelevance and so, you know, soon, right, there was still that problem of, of, of theft, right? Uh-huh. Um, but then what students were able to do is they were able to appoint, um, you know, some people called class monitors, right? Yeah. Um, and then these class monitors would basically, like, ensure link up is not used for things like theft. Um, but, but, you know, like, unlike senior man, of course, the class monitors um, were going to have this relationship with the rest of the, of the students where... They would be able to have, you know, students would be able to have visibility into everything that the class monitors were doing, and you know, it would it would be a thing where, you know, we would we as students will decide what the class monitors um would do, define what their roles are, um, and would also be seen, you know, would also be able to see what all these class monitors are doing, see all the thieves they've arrested, you know, yeah. see who they are, what their investigation reports are, and and whatnot. And, you know, if, if class monitors were to do something selfish like senior man, you know, the entire student's community will actually downvote them using LinkUp and actually remove them, um, you know, from the, from the network. And, you know, at the end of the day, what you have is that students were very happy, right? Because they had LinkUp, um, it gave them like this freedom from senior man and all the money, all the huge cuts and power that, you know, senior man was basically accruing to himself was now spread out to everyone as like increased wealth, right? Yeah. Um, so that is the story, you know, that for, for context, that was, you know, the thread, what the thread was talking of. Yeah. So, so um, senior man is the government. Um, yeah. Link up is ETH, right? Yeah, or, or the blockchain in general. The blockchain in general, yes. Um, yeah. I think Give Me is Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, like that, like that. And the students are like everybody, comments. Yeah. That, and yeah. That's, 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 that's a fantastic story. And I, that, that's what's happening. And you mentioned stuff like, um, senior man, um, occasionally yeah. we'll try to look for other students and, um, corner them and beat them up and try to intimidate them. You see the government yeah. doing that, especially the Nigerian government. Try exactly. to close down business infrastructure, businesses that, um, use or patronize, um, link up 
yeah. like blockchain technology. But yeah. then Bitcoin and Ethereum that are like um imagined concept of blockchain, right? Yeah. Um yeah. we are seeing blockchain more in the financial aspect. Do you think there are other aspects of life that would you think would um incorporate the blockchain technology and what 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 other aspects do you think would use blockchain? Oh yeah, um definitely. So the thing is, you know, right now with blockchain, we have cryptocurrencies as like this overarching like thing, right? I mean yeah. anyone who hears blockchain just thinks Bitcoin and then yeah. you know thinks digital money and just like you know volatility and price charts. Yeah. <laughs> um you know but but what I think like fundamentally is being missed by everyone, maybe because of how early it is and how it, you know it's only cryptos, cryptocurrency mm -hmm. largely that it proved to everyone, is that blockchains are the first principle, like you know, um, view of blockchains is really about trust, right? Yeah. And so you know, like, why does it make sense for us to now have cryptocurrencies? Is because something like Bitcoin is a monetary network that does not rely on any central bank or any government or yeah. anyone like you know pretty much dictating like how the money should flow it's yeah. just basically like a network of people that are able to you know send money to each other like peer-to-peer -peer without the interference of the government yeah no third like, party exactly makes it very easy to be able to transfer value but then more so because you know it's verifiable you know there's yes. cryptography like backing the technology so you know you can't have like the double spend problem which is yes, basically yes. you know what used to happen when the earlier forms of e-cash were there i mean imagine you could transfer you know cash using like a flash drive that means two people then have a copy yeah of, copy, you know, yes the, the but then we have people that check the double spending um a, aspect of it exactly exactly and you know right now how that exists is it's the government you know or like organizations like fintechs right yes. they have the ledgers that you know show where the flow of money has has occurred and they can decide to you know dictate um you know what they want really and so you know a common occurrence we've had is you know you get like a, a debit alert of maybe 20k and yeah. then or you try to withdraw at the atm and you go to the bank and it takes like maybe forever for you to be able to get your money back it's really because you know you sent your money it flew it flowed to somewhere <laughs> and then you know you weren't able the, the bank pretty much like had a say of you know um telling you what you did with your money yeah or you know where your money eventually should be and so bitcoin you know is just really like that network that eliminates all of that because of trust. And when we zoom out, looking at trust from a needs-based like perspective, trust is required for almost every single thing we do as humans. Exactly. Right? Even for it, Bitcoin, you need trust. You need trust. Yeah, right? trusting strangers. Um, yeah, yeah. So you're trusting strangers, but what's now interesting with that is you don't necessarily like need to directly trust the people you can trust that the integrity of the network right mm, because excellent. the technology you know yeah the technology makes it hard for you for for someone for instance to be able to like you know 
um, sort of like sideline the network, right? Or like, you know, diverts the network in a way where they can dictate like what the network does. So it's this system where, you know, it's, it's actually like there is a, there, there is a paradox to it, right? Bitcoin improves trust on one end, like, you could be thinking of that of it that way but then when you sort of like look a bit further what you see is it eliminates the need for trust entirely right yeah so you have like you know um integrity being built as a technology primitive using things like cryptography and you know like um the concept of of the blockchain which pretty much like allows every computer which is plugged into it to have a copy of all the transactions that are going on, yeah. you know, on, on the Bitcoin network and makes it like very easy for you to verify the source of where a transaction, um, you know, is coming from and, and, you know, also even like provide an incentive for the fastest computers to compute or like calculate, you know, that transaction yeah, in, in the form yeah. of transaction fees. Yeah. yeah. So, so right now, you know, the finance system is that system that has been in in their need for integrity, right? Or in their need like for this this sort of like um system where yeah. you know people don't just don't just have an option. Um and and that's like with banks with banks. So an instance too that might be relatable for a lot of people is you have a bank account, you know, all you just do every month is have debit alerts on ATM maintenance fees, you know, and like ridiculous fees. Yeah. You never, you know, you never been never actually, you know, signed a contract somewhere saying that, you know, um, this this amount of like debits, you know, should be should be taken out. In fact, you can we cannot just the average Nigerian cannot foresee how much debit alerts the bank is going to make on their own accounts. Yeah. For something that you know they just say like ATM maintenance fees or like you know all these things. That thing is crazy, then, man. It's crazy. It's, it's really not. And then why it's also so crazy is because in the past, from how banks were set up, banks were set up to be able to, you know, provide security, as we earlier said, yeah. right, to people. But then also because they had, you know, that leverage of capital, use that capital to seek new investment areas and also transfer interest back to the people. But of course, like that's broken today. We don't know of anything like, you know, um, bank accounts that have interests, um, you know, <laughs> like in the in this country is just really bank accounts that's laden you with transaction fees. And so what you have now is that, you know, OK, what is that 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 alternative? You know, how can people be able to secure like their monetary assets without needing like, you know, the sovereignty of a government to back it. If there was, you know, a way to have secure vaults between people, then ultimately, like, you know, I won't need to be bound by a bank that only yeah, keeps yeah, deducting yeah. my money, you know, without my without my explicit, like, permission per deduction. Um, so that's just, like, why finance has seemed to catch on to, like, this whole, um, you know, exactly, because that is where the pressing need for integrity and, you know, uh, trust, or, you know, you could say trustlessness um, exists or presides today. Yeah. So what you have is eventually it's going to seep into different aspects. So, you know, with the disinformation thing, we spoke of media, right? Yeah. And 
I trust, I, I, so, I mean, I grew up knowing CNN as, and, and Fox News as, you know, okay, the mainstream, like, news, I mean, like, what yeah, do we do? In, like, very objective, objective news. Exactly. And to an extent, like, you could see that mental model happen, like, so, so, like, all across, like, just growing up. Um, either like just like going on some random website and just you know seeing like a journalist that released an article yeah. it just made us have that default state of oh yeah you know a journalist released it so it must be legit yeah exactly and so there is a sense of trust right that i grew up having for those mainstream networks but then eventually it's like when you kind of look between the lines you could see like biases um, just kind of like happen where, you know, some of these news networks then tilt towards one side of things. Yeah. And so my trust could be maligned where they are giving me like, you know, the ultimately what they want me to see and not, you know, like ultimately like what I am looking for, or like the sort of objectivity, right? Yeah. That um, I, I might, I might be able to like dict- dictate um, what that means to me. So eventually, right, what you then have is that there's like lots of fake news, right? Um, there's lots of just like um, smaller like media. I mean, it's very easy for anyone to start a media company now, yeah. just like through through social media. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you even have like issues like, you know, journalists now um, sort of like being, raising like the flags of their biases so much that they use like, you know, the, the integrity of journalism um, to then like, you know, pursue, pursue or like, you know, play these status games where they attack like people who ultimately yeah, exactly, do not exactly. like, yeah. you know, and it's just like very zero sum, right? Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, it shows that integrity is, is an issue there and also then prov- provides like this opportunity for blockchain to also improve. So but can we also say that, um, the electoral yeah. system too, yeah, um, would also, um, be a very good example of a system that that can benefit from the blockchain technology, where people yeah. can vote and everyone can see see it's there, see the numbers there, and it is it can it is unalterable. Yeah. So yeah, hundred percent. You know, definitely. like elections elections are an interesting thing, right? Because when we think of censorship, we think of it as, you know, just like one of those things of like um, governments having a monopoly on, you know, information or like violence or anything. But even the electoral process in itself is censored, so to speak. It happens yes. like behind closed doors, right? We, there is no sense of like verifiability. Even if a camera feed was streaming you know, like all the people counting the ballots and, you know, people could generally like aggregate around their their screens and ensure mm. each ballot was, was correct. You can't even trust the feed in the first place, right? And and I mean, like, it's, it begs the question, the internet came in, so why didn't we do like, why, why haven't like, you know, elections being done on the internet? Mm. It's ultimately because it only just digitizes like, you know, the process, but then it's still going to happen behind closed doors. Behind closed doors, yeah. What the government has. And so if you have a system where, you know, um, you pretty much have people, like, putting in their votes, everyone can see who is voting on what, and, you know, it's done in a very transparent way where 
you know, like every single person on the on the on the network like has some reputation at stake, then you know it then becomes a thing where you know if you're a bad actor, it's it doesn't it doesn't help you. Doesn't right? help if you. Are, yes. Yes. Exactly, because at the end of the day, it then becomes that system where there's an incentive for you to like vote on your course or like what you what you truly want because yeah. you know you can trust the integrity of the network that you know other people like you also are going to be there voting alongside you and so like it's really like going to transform i believe like um um elections but then elections also if i go a level deeper um are just like a a just like a a flavor or just like a you know a spin-off of like this whole concept of governance right? yeah yeah and sure. if you think of governance governance happens at every layer you know in society there's this thing they tell us that the family is like the most fundamental unit of society mm-hmm. that's your first government you know your parents are like your first government mm-hmm. so, so to speak and like the elders that you know you find around you and so you'd find out that for every place where governance is needed, like even in in companies, like, you know, to be able to vote something or, or like sports, you know, um, all these like um, casting of like um, ballots and all of that, you'd find out that for every single place where there needs to be, a, where there is a need for governance, blockchain can pretty much like come in, you know, and like bring in um, the integrity that is needed for governance to be truly democratized. Mm. So basically, as we see governance in like Bitcoin, that's an example where um, certain people are given the power to um, make certain decisions. But then if some of them mess up, like being like senior man in court, Mm. then the entire system is, has the power to like take that person off. And the person is being, is being a bad actor. Um, yes. Which makes sense. Okay, so um, we, I think we've dwelled, we've spent a lot of time on this, um, on this yeah. particular book. But before we move to the next one, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, because this why, why this book is so intriguing is because it got a lot of predictions correctly, which be, the 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 concept of blockchain and bit and um, cryptocurrency got it like very well, and yeah. um, the concept of um, of decentralized commerce which is something that is coming up um so what other predictions two questions what other predictions do you think was was said in the book was mentioned in the book but you do not necessarily think is true that's one two what are your predictions for the future okay i think your predictions i can i can guess that your prediction for the future is mainly optimistic Mm. um but what do you think is the fate of mankind? I'll, I'll, you would say yours, and I think I'll, I'll also tell you mine. Um, okay. What do you think is the fate of mankind in the next one thousand years? Wow, interesting. <laughs> so, um, so, so, to a large extent, right? I've not necessarily come up, or, or rather, like seen maybe like certain things that I do not dis- that I disagree with. I kind of like read it with an open mind. And typically, I'd only like confront like a lot of information after like spending time just like going deep into it. So it's one of those books where I just like pretty much in this phase of like absorbing mostly. Um, I think that nonetheless, right? The second question is 
like quite quite interesting or like intriguing to me. Yeah. I think that so to an extent, right? A thousand years honestly is a lot, right? Yeah. And the only it's to an extent, a thousand years is also an infinite years, really, because we we can't necessarily like determine or dictate what you know what power and resources we're able to aggregate and like you know use to transform humanity in a thousand yeah. years just by comparing like okay last couple of thousand years but then what is like apparent is that technology is shifting the scale and the concept of time right whether mm. it's like the time to produce something or the yeah. time to get access to something um, and so that is even like now, you know, leading to, I mean, which is part of like what the book talks of is that, you know, eventually technology like creates this, um, this shift of balance where all the leverage that literally took like years and hundreds of years to accrue can be accrued in basically months or like days or yeah. minutes, right? And so I think that, you know, what that means is that, I mean, a thousand years from now with technology at the helm might just look like the last 10,000 years of like, you know, evolution and how we kind of like evolved as humans. Yeah. Um, okay. And, and then, you know, what I think then might happen um, over time, just like from here within this millennium is, so, I mean, this kind of tempting, right? Tempting me to talk of, of a different book, but then is this concept of homo deus, right? Yeah. Um, which is discussed in Yuval um, Harari's book. Yeah, Harari's yeah. book. You know, yeah, where it's like, you know, men becoming more godlike um, yeah. as a result of like, you know, the technology, the powers that, you know, um, can be harnessed through technology. And so what I really think is that a lot of the difference we have to to the nation states and like, you know, to to who we formerly knew as the old gods, right? The gods of farming and, you know, like the gods of, the gods of, um, the gods of governance and politics today, right? Yeah. In the, in the form of the government. Um, eventually then means that, you know, we then have like people being gods in like their own smaller circles in a way where, you know, like everyone um, is able to like use the, the resources that technology has been able to bring you know, to achieve like something deeper, something higher. So more towards like an optimistic view of, you know, stuff and what technology does. I think like technology amplifies like the problems in the world, but then it, it has the power to solve them faster yeah. and, you know, like um, faster than it can destroy things. And so I think that in the areas of like politics, commerce, you know, governance and all of that is just really like going to, um, you know, shift in that scale. Mm. Um, to more practical things, I think that, you know, I mean, that's like the overarching, like, yes, like yes. spiritual overview of how I yeah. see, you know, like those things going. But then like to the more practical things, I think our concept of what we understand as countries will drastically change. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, agree um, with that. I I think like you know you know once we were a village where where you know like we were a it kingdom was a family then a village then kingdoms then exactly countries. you know you know something so interesting I mean just to digress a very little bit is that um 
I mean, I just like, it's almost a default for me to think of my entire reality as revolving around roads, which is I'm going to come out and at some point I'm going to meet a third road. And, yeah. you know, there are cars like flying around this road and I can use that to navigate. That's like what poses as the mental model of like a country or like a state or, you know, like a, a formalized like um, civilizations like today. But then that never always existed, <laughs> you know, like yeah. Yeah. they were, they looked so radically different from now. And so I think that, you know, likewise, because of the way technologies like will shift our realities and also like bring more sovereign individuals. I think that, you know, fundamentally the the concept of a country will change. And then it's now evolving to this thing called the network state, right? Yeah. Um which which um yeah, Balaji Srinivasan, one of my heroes, is like a huge um a huge like advocate of. And what the network state does, it it makes it easier for people to be able to exit. Um, and to be able to like, you know, go towards, towards where, you know, like their voices are. And what the implication of that is that the contracts between governments and individuals will change so drastically where the government then becomes like, you know, a, a, an entity that serves you. So eventually it becomes very easy, you know, to wake up in a country and say, you know, okay, this country doesn't seem like it, it aligns with my values. I'm going to, you know, pretty much like drift to this other country. And so I think like, you know, people would then start aggregating around their values as opposed to just like the sanctions that have been imposed by the states or, yeah. you know, like by, by virtue of what the states can provide. So that's something I think will happen. We're going to see countries like change. We're going to see the rise of network states. And yeah. then it's going to be very easy, like, you know, moving to a different country, you have like countries bidding for individuals as opposed to individuals now, you know, bidding for countries for through countries. things like visa applications and, like, yeah. you know, yeah. migration strategies. That would be, be interesting. Um, yeah. So for me, which is um slightly, slightly um, more pessimistic is, um, yeah, I can't, when I think about different branches of, like human beings, the destination of human beings, um, in a thousand years, I, I can't see any clear and optimistic, um, story. Yeah. Yeah. End story to all this. Um, mm -hmm. so I, sometimes I think, um, in the, in a thousand years or before a thousand years, we would have like a self extinguishing, um, nuclear event. Mm. Um, like an all-out nuclear war where okay. some people miscalculate and the planet is um, unrecognizable. Everyone yeah. is dead, right? Yeah, yeah. Or there is some sort of environmental collapse due to mm. nuclear incidents or maybe synthetic biology, right? Yeah. So um, the thing is, there are two. There are two things I would like to mention, which is um, cascade and um, cascading feature of technology right now and the amplifi amplifying feature of technology. So with the increase in technology, we've seen that there's like some sort of interconnectivity of systems around the world. Everything is kind of connected, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Everything is on the internet, basically. Every sphere yeah. of life, right? Yeah. So things that could, could normally would have been um, containable Right, containable issues or things that could have been localized. Yeah, mm -hmm. we now see things that cannot, like, 
an effect on a particular system is going to affect the entire system, right? Yeah. Which makes the entire system, the entire system, entire structure fragile. Do yeah. you understand? So okay. things are no longer localized. And when, when you touch a particular system, it's going to affect the entire thing. Do you understand? Mm. Okay, let's say, for example, some everything is connected to the internet, right? Okay. Um, look at self-driving cars. Yeah. Imagine you, your car is self-driving. And it, your, your self-driving car uses the internet. And yeah. the closest server or um, one of those um, big data centers and um, servers that provide the internet is being yeah. blown up, right? Mm. And all the cars lose their control. Do you understand? Mm. So okay. just bombing a data center, a server, server, server room is going to mm. kill a lot of people. That's the, that's the fragility I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Then, yeah. then there's the amplification aspect of it in the sense that, um, because as I've mentioned, because we have something called exponential tech, right? Yeah. Things yeah. are being amplified at a planetary level. Right. Mm. So before we could make a choice, human beings have always made made choices to like to be violent. If I kick you, is a choice of being violent, but it is localized. It's just you kicking. Then yeah. we evolved in our tool making ability. I made, let's say, I make, I made a stone, right, a stone yeah. shaped um, weapon, and I hit you. It's still that same choice to hit you to be violent, right? But yeah. it's more painful. Then there is gone. Gun is yeah. a lot more painful, right? And mm. I can extend that violence to a lot of people. Then there mm. is intercontinental ballistic missiles, right? Mm. Yeah. And stuff like that. Then now we have nuclear weapons. Mm. So, um, exponential tech makes these choices more amplified, right? Yeah. So now we have an increased population because obviously increase in technology incentivizes growth in the sense that, um, now we have a population of about 8 billion, right? Mm. Close to 8 billion. Yeah. And um, I think a couple hundred years ago, it was significantly lower than what it is right now. So now we have an increased population with an increased impact per person, mm. right? So each yeah. person can make so much impact that a thousand people couldn't have made like a thousand years yeah. ago. Do you understand? Yeah. So yeah. all of that, putting all of that together, right? And yeah. since that, yes, there is great breakthrough in all of this, but there hasn't really been significant breakthrough in human wisdom. So we yeah. still are going to make the same mistakes. And even with bigger and better weapons, more potent weapons, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and also we don't just only have exponential, exponentially more powerful tech. We also have exponentially more distribution of powerful tech. So it's not just certain few people or um, few states that can make exponential tech. Like yeah. it's increasingly it's almost everybody, right? Yeah. And and yeah. the chances of one person just miscalculating and doing something stupid mm. and um and 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 harming a lot of people is yeah. insane. Do you understand? And yeah. if you want to look all through history. You look at the Romans, the Greek. They, if you look at all these major civilizations, they are always self-terminating. And I don't see the sense that ours is going to be different because we are humans, first and yeah. foremost, right? And we just yeah. have more weapons. And lastly, the fact that um, as, if you look at these civilizations, if you look at Babylon, um, the Babylonian civilization, um, Sumerians, Roman, and all of that, right? Yeah. Those civilizations were localized. 
where it was mm. just a particular period and a particular place yeah. at a particular time, right? Yeah. And when they self-terminate, it is just that that place, that that location, all right? But yeah. now the world is becoming a global village and this civilization is increasingly becoming a global civilization, right? Yeah. And whatever yeah. termination is going to happen, this civilization is going to be global. Yeah. It's no longer yeah. going to be localized. So that's why I'm thinking that um, mm. the human factor together with exponential tech yeah. is not is not like a good mixture. We might enjoy it for these very few hundred years, couple of yeah. couple of centuries, but I think if we are lucky, yeah, we can we can live out about five hundred years. That yeah. is if we are lucky. That's what that's my sense. That's what I think. Yeah. So it's interesting, right? Um I mean this this is going to be the last one anyways, I guess, before we jump to the next book, which yeah. also relates to this is that in 500 years, I'm going to bet on humans being able to sort of like accrue a lot of like the possibilities that come with like extinction or yeah. like, you know, having like all these man-made warfares to, to sort of like um, exit the earth and become like an interplanetary species. Right? Yeah, that, that is another, that and, is another, um, yeah. Another and, so, and so like as... I mean, like, it's like all of nuclear technology for the most part has been harnessed for warfare. Yeah. And not necessarily, like, you know, the, the things like, okay, you know, terraforming, like, you know, deserts and, and mm-hmm. arid lands and, you know, I'm um, like, you know, just providing like a, an alternate form of like safe power um, mm-hmm. than burning fossil fuels. And I think that, you know, as, as more of those things like develop, um, it's the function of the states and like, you know, the monopoly of violence for these innovations to ultimately be diverted first towards violence yeah. and towards any sort of meaning. And like, a, as you were talking, like a question popped in my head, which is that I kind of wonder how, uh, you know, like human morality will evolve also over that period of time. We can or see that happening right now. Yeah, well, we can yeah. see that happening right now. You know, and I think like at the end of the day, like our relationship with war also kind of like hinges on that sense of like morality. But then if um eventually, you know, we are we are able to like get to a point where, you know, people are more people have like real incentives to like collaborate rather than like tear down stuff. I'm hoping that, you know, that increases and you know, that's eventually even like helps us like become more of an interplanetary species because then we have like all these um you know um resources like aggregated by the states then being turned towards like you know things that have to do with like more exploration and like self-actualization so i'm hoping that you know when the extinction happens on earth there might be like you know a few humans around yeah as well Um, the mosque is doing um exactly but but I mean, like, I have some solace because I think, like, biologically, we will always evolve. And, like, our current concept of being humans hasn't always been so all through time. And even as we, like, you know, move to, like, different places with different living conditions. And, I mean, it just might be that if we spend the next, you know, like, two, three thousand years, like, um, you know, exploring the universe, then we just might, you know, like, mutate into, like, something other than, like, what we know to be. But yeah, who knows? 
Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so let's move as we've talked about um um planetary movement and um terraforming. I think it's it's mm. a nice link link linkage to the next book. Yeah. Um you are the universe, isn't it? Yeah, you are the universe. Yeah, okay. So so tell us tell us about the book and why it stands out. Okay. So you are the universe is an interesting one. Um it's written by Deepak Chopra and Minas Kafatos. Um, they are, they are, you know, like scientists, um, so to speak, right? And it basically talks on just like the facts that you know exist about our universe or uh, about the universe around us, what we've observed through science over time, and the questions that like you know it's it's uh, that that arise from an analysis of the universe. Which is just really like you know around um around consciousness so you know it's really like looks in in the concept of reality right like i mean reality is undeniable by everyone everyone can acknowledge the fact that you know there is a reality that we all we all first like individually have and that we yeah. all like sort of collaboratively or collectively possess i can point to something and say Yo, you know, like that thing is, you know, is shaped as a circle and it's red, and you know, I and you can also point and acknowledge that, yeah, of course that is, you know, that exists. So reality is like this interesting concept, but then the main thing that makes for our reality is us as humans, right? Our senses and how we are able to perceive that reality, right? Yeah. And so if I'm looking at something, um, basically like I'm looking at an object, it's purple. I recognize it as, you know, a purple cylinder. Um, it then, you know, like becomes a thing of like, okay, at the end of the day, I recognize it as a purple cylinder because of the information my eyes have, you know, sort of extracted from yeah. the environment and how my brain has given or assigned meaning to what you know that to that data that my eyes have have received and you know like at the end of the day it's that you know the the thing that makes sights or like you know physical reality possible is photons of light right yes. individual photons of light um that pretty much like you know bounce and like emit um energy from different objects and then our eyes can you know pick all of that but then Something that is such a mystery is that individual photons of light themselves are invisible, like they aren't bright. You know, you can't, even though we see the sun as bright, yeah. the sun technically is not bright. It's only our eyes that gives it the meaning of brightness, right? Mm -hmm. And then it would be a different case if there, were, there was light in the brain. The brain is dark matter, like nothing goes on. There are no visible pictures. So it's not a thing of us saying that, okay, maybe pictures are being sort of generated from scratch in the brain. And then, you know, where it's, it's now being projected externally. No, it's that our senses pick it in and then the brain like processes it and gives it like some meaning. Yeah. Also based on, you know, like how, what our relationship with reality has also been in the past. Yeah. Right. So, you know, another thing too is that, um, you know, with, with, with um, reality, right, it's, it's a thing where if we do not have eyes, then we can't necessarily, like, 
acknowledge that the purple cylinder is indeed there right yeah or if we have like no intermediary between you know how our reality is formed and the objects that are out there um then we can't necessarily like for certain say that okay yeah indeed you know there is a cylinder there so it means that our perception of the universe or everything that really quantifies us like saying yeah the universe is what it is is because of our ability to perceive it is because of like the right like very precise mix of senses that we have that enable us to be able to observe the universe around us is also because of like all the you know years and like multitudes of evolution that have happened for us to be in this particular planet in the solar system in the galaxy you know with with respect to the entire like universe at these very precise spots that makes it possible for life to to form and not just like life forming um, randomly, but then for us to be able to have sights, you know, have, um, you know, taste like um, hear sound and, you know, have a brain that can also like process all of this and then give us meaning into the form of, you know, a three dimensional reality that we interact with. So, you know, it's this thing where we do not, we are not certain of what actually is out there. We aren't certain of the state of the universe, right? All we just know is that photons are really giving us the information that we have. And if your eye can see up onto only like 3% of, you know, everything or like the entire, you know, it's like, I mean, you can't see air, right? You can't see, we know that air is made of atoms. We know like certain things are made of like, you know, all these tiny, um, you know, like particles, but we yeah. can't necessarily like inherently see them. Right. Yes. And so the universe, you are the universe just basically like explores that relationship that we have with the universe and, you know, like just begs the question, OK, what makes the universe? Is there an objective universe like out there? Yeah. You know, and, or, and that yeah. is my sorry, that, that is my criticism of his work. OK, is okay. Um, the fact that he downplays the idea of an objective universe and that because mm. he said that we are the universe literally right yeah. that yeah. um he 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 now give an analogy he he used this analogy um of what he was he was trying to really expatiate on what he was really getting at and he used okay. the copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics the, yeah. the, that um until an observer observes mm -hmm. something, it is a particle. Yeah. If not, it is something else, or it is not. No, he said it is not there until yeah. an observer observes it, and observes which is not it. true, yeah. right? It is when yeah. an observer observes yeah, I don't it. Yeah, agree with that. Right. <laughs> so it's when an observer observes it that it is a particle. Yes, but it is yeah. a wave, and a wave is not nothing. It is something, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the first one, and also the fact that he's saying. Um, until we see, until we can perceive something. Okay, you mentioned stuff of like um, painting something um, purple. Yeah. That until you like, if we do not see it, then how do yeah. we know it's purple? We yeah. might not know it's purple yet. Yes, yeah. but objectively, something has been painted on the wall. Objectively, mm. do you understand? Mm. But my own my own criticism of him is that without perception, the thing isn't there. Yeah. So he also says something about because I think he gets a lot of his ideas from the is it the Upanishad? 
um like mm. this um Hindu Hindu idea of cosmology. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he gets he gets it a lot. Yes, he gets it. He gets. I'm seeing a lot of undertones of Hindu undertones in in his in his ideas. And yeah. he is. I'm not saying he's entirely wrong. I I I saw some sense in a lot of things he said. Yeah. But then he, I do, I do not just agree with the fact that there is no objective, um, objective universe out there. Whether or not we can perceive it, is yeah. is, is 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 um is apart from the fact that there is an objective universe. Out yeah. There. You know, like what what um you know he tries to, or rather, like the school of thoughts that I think he, you know, he tries to amplify, um is this whole thing of like okay yeah of course you know like you need an observer to be able to like acknowledge that there's you know something like objective out there but then at the end of the day like our entire our entire entire concept of even being able to like think of that theory is based on us like still bound by being humans and observing rights and like having a you know yeah having like this three-dimensional relationship right where you know like we're either like interacting with things or like it's like there's there's some latency between you know our consciousness and you know the consciousness of or rather like the existence of like every other thing around but then i mean like even while i do not agree to like a certain extent with or i mean like sometimes i i come across some things i'm with deepak and i mean it makes me like ask certain questions to myself I kind of just, um, you know, like broadly look at it as this thing where at the end of the day, it's pointing towards the fact that there is a purpose for existence for humanity or for humans, right? And which is, I mean, just by like without morality or anything, it's like, you know, you exist, you have these senses, you are observing, you know, like what is around you, you are observing the universe. And as such, you know, that is what... um, eventually like i mean that's what qualifies being human it's that you know you can you can feel the air that is on your skin you can see the sunlight you know we can see the stars move and then we can then begin to ask ourselves questions on everything that is happening but then i think like why it struck me as like um somewhat like of a philosophy right to me is that you know i think that you know, at the end of the day, we see ourselves as separate from the universe, right? As though we are, you know, like privileged um, participants that yes. are yes. detached. But then I literally just see humanity as an extension of the fabric of the universe. Yes. Right. And so what Deepak would typically say is that, I mean, the universe is observing itself through you right uh, and uh, uh, uh. i mean as opposed to you kind of like observing the universe yes yes right there's like this more fluid like um relationship that comes from us being able to observe the universe because in fact like it's like the senses you have are just like a part of the universe similar to how you know the gases that form stars are right is that it feeds into this ideology that everything is made of like energy and then we are all just like in a swimming, you know, yes, sort of and just observing, just exactly. distant observers of what's going Ex- on. 
exactly but it's then you know being human and also you know like having this concept of privilege that we have that makes us see you know like this three-dimensional dimensional reality as something that we are detached you know we are detached yeah. from so, and, and then there was something he also said that i was trying to drive at is make, having us making us have this concept of you know we are or you are the universe and everyone else is the universe and yeah. universe is one like so we are that we are one but what is yeah. stopping us from knowing that we are one our divine our divinity right yeah yeah is our ego the human ego yeah. the you like the yeah. whatever you yeah. are the the physical you the social you and the economic you mm. right is what is really it's like a a fog not making yeah. you see your divine nature, your divine being, which is mm. interconnected with other people and the universe as such. Yeah. But then there's someone, I don't, do you know a guy called Daniel Schmartenberger? No, I don't. Oh, yeah, I think you should check him out. He's, he's a fantastic yeah. thinker. So he, he also says something, something along this line. So he said, yeah. our ability to be conscious and think in abstract terms has yeah. stopped us from being just a part of the whole. That is yeah. the universe. But has made us think about the whole and hence be an agent of the whole. Right? So yeah. the whole evolutionary impulse of the universe brought brought like me about and then wake up to itself in me. The mm. fact that we are conscious, right? Mm. Is is pointed out to the fact that the evolutionary impulse of the universe has woken up itself in me. And so yeah. in a meaningful way. I am actually the evolutionary impulsive universe awoke to itself in a form that has adequate ordered complexity to yeah. contemplate that and then get to consciously choose how to participate with it. Sweet. Right. So Sweet. we the un, the universe the evolutionary impulse of the universe is awake is is awake in us, which is why we have the consciousness as we do. Right, yeah, and yeah. not also that he has given us that all that complexity to not just be awake to it, but also to realize that we can also participate with it. So yeah. basically, we we are no longer just product of evolution, but we yeah. can be agents yeah. of, for evolution, right? Yeah. So we can yeah. help to facilitate evolution, like help to make it drive it towards goodness or drive it towards evil, right? Yeah. So when we identify as fundamentally interconnected parts of an interconnected universe rather than separate things, when we see ourselves as same as the universe, we stop thinking that there is any definition of success for self that isn't a definition for success of success for the whole. Mm. So um, that that was, that was, that was smart. I just phrased, tried to paraphrase what he said. Yeah, uh, that was Schmartenberger. Like he was trying to explain the concept of emergence yeah. and the concept of um, interconnectedness of all humankind and the universe. That yeah. the moment we think of we connected to the universe as we being imagined properties of the universe and connected yeah. to the universe, we would not see success as just for me. It's no longer a zero-sum game. Now yeah. it would be something of you want it to be game-theoretically stable for everyone. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. And you do yeah. not see that success until that's the system or the structure is game theoretically stable for yeah. a very long period of time. 
which, yeah. which, which does make sense. But you should check out Daniel Schmachtenberger. The guy is yes. an insane thinker. Yeah, sounds like. Um, Can you spell the the name just so it's... Okay, S-C-H. Okay. M-A-C-H. Yeah. T-E-N-B-E-R-G. I see. Daniel Schmachtenberger is 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 awesome. an insane thinker. Yes. Yeah. Um. So okay, let let's move on to the next, to the last book. Okay. Um. The one by Victor Woodson. Mm. So that is an interesting one, right? Um, yeah. It's called the music lesson. Um, and. It's written by Victor Wotton. And so, you know, for those who don't know Victor Wotton, Victor Wotton is a Grammy award-winning um, instrumentalist, a bass guitarist, to be precise. One of the greatest and, of all time. Yeah, actually, absolutely. You know, he plays he plays the guitar in a way that I, I, I don't really, I can't really, like, reference, um, you know, anyone else that kind of, like, does it in the way that he does it. Um, and this book is is just really all about a spiritual search for growth through music, right? And you know, you find out that like music is an interesting thing, right? Um, so you know, we find a lot of music around us. You know, it's something that is, I think, in my opinion, is one of the most common things that we share as humans. Um, because like no matter how you know like violent one may be or like bad or evil one may be or no matter how good one may be uh, another person might be you find out that like music is something that eventually everyone has a relationship with or like you know most most people have a relationship with and it's you know this accounts this story of um of of Victor him um you know kind of like being a, a musician and a music student and then eventually like you know this guy comes into his his house in like a, in a NASA style jumpsuit and a bike helmet and you know um now sort of like was his um his it now turned out to be his tutor his name was Michael um and then what he was really doing at the end of the day was it wasn't necessarily like explicitly like teaching him or like telling him this is what you do or this is what you shouldn't do. He would just like, you know, do stuff like ask um, Victor questions or ask like, you know, um, ask questions and, you know, like just have like these learning methods that were yeah. quite mysterious and, you know, sort of explicit and saying, okay, yeah, this is what you should do. And so it became a thing where, you know, largely, um, um, Victor, who was writing about it, um, you know, was internally conflicted on like who this person was and like, you know, why he should just like appear randomly and then, you know, why he should have like all these ridiculous like thoughts about like, you know, music. And over time, like, you know, what, what happened was he was then going to, you know, that's Victor was then going to learn about the elements of music, right? Um, and over the course of time, not just meet only Michael, but meet a couple of other like um, guru-like figures that yeah. you know we're going to we're going to um, we're going to help him. So you know he was a he was a struggling young musician, and of course like um, he wanted to be successful with with music, right? Um, so all those teachers eventually 
you know, would guide him on this spiritual journey and, you know, teach him the gifts, you know, of, of music and, and also show that, you know, music mirrors life, the way life is and like, you know, the meaning of life and, you know, and, and everything. Yeah. And, and so like, you know, what's one of the key things that, you know, Michael said at first was, you know, I, I teach nothing because there's nothing to be taught. You already know everything you need to know, but you asked me to come. So here I am. So it's like this whole weird thing. And then he's like, you know, I, he's so confused. Like, I don't understand. I did not invite you. Right. But then it shows it shows that, you know, first of all, the philosophy of music by Vito Butin is that it exists. Right. Mm. Your instrument is just what you use to channel music. Right. Like. Lots of times you sort of like um, could be thinking of like a song that is playing in your head. It's as though the song was playing and then, you know, at some point in time, you just remembered like some part of it. And then you just found yourself like singing out the song. And, you know, it says that, you know, the master, the real masters of music are the people who have... I mean, like it's like good people, good musicians, like, you know, know how to play music well. But then great musicians let the music play them because, yeah. you know, there's, there's nothing more about music theory that they want to know. And so, you know, these elements of music that were taught was there are 10 of them. Um, I would list them out. So yes. there's groove. Yeah, so there's groove. Um, just basically like what, um, you know, like the feeling of, you know, like bumpiness that comes in when you're listening to like, you know, a specific beat at a specific like, yeah. piece. And, you know, just the sort of like the rhythm, but then not necessarily like the rhythm, just like the shape of movement, right? Then you have notes, um, and then you have, you know, articulation, you have emotion, you have dynamic, you have rhythm or tempo, you have tone, you have phrasing, you have space, you have listening. And all of these were like a blend of elements that eventually like come to make music and so each um, chapter was just basically taking all of these elements diving deeper into them and then extracting like key lessons or like life yeah. lessons um from from all of them so it was an interesting thing and i think that um what's what like um what i i got from it is that at the end of the day, like music is a spiritual form of expression, yeah. right? It's, it's, you know, music, like all things, is really vibration at the end of the day. It's, you know, also emotion and like feeling. And at the end of the day, it's like the vibrations you produce through your instruments could inspire like, you know, so many feelings in other people. And then could then give them like a much more widened perception right of of their reality either in like the emotion they're experiencing like you know joy sadness or it's even like you know leading to like further ideas um down the line and so you know like is this thing where all the music guys that has ever been played is just really like out there you know it's just knowledge and what you need to do is you know tap into it, and, into it yeah. and, and you find out that you know with every good piece of music it's like the fundamentals or the elements of all every good piece of music mirror, you know, certain things that we see in life, you know, either that, you know, you, you need to be able to 
I mean, like at the end of the day, like express um music, like following those elements, like groove, notes, emotions, dynamic, tempo, and you find out that just in like normal life, normal living, you see a lot of those different elements. Yeah, yeah. What What made you start? How did you start learning music? And when I mean learning music, okay. I mean um, the core concepts and musical instruments. Um, and again, what drove you to do that? Because I think it's yeah. it's a very hard thing to do, um, to yeah. have that patience to maybe learn a musical instrument, for instance. Um, so do you yeah. think there's a hack, or it's yeah. it's something intrinsic? Um, that these there are special people that that can learn that can learn music. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um. It's an interesting one, right? So for me, I actually started learning music. I mean, like, okay, so the first touch with music was like, you know, basic music theory in 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 school, in like, you know, uh, primary school, like, you know, all the all all the all the fluff that came with, you know, all the theory and all of that was total bonkers. I never like had anything to do with it. In fact, like I hated music as a school in primary school. And so eventually I go to like high school or secondary school. And then, you know, I, I actually like funny enough, like start learning music by not trying to play an instrument, but then by being fascinated with like the technology of it. So there was this keyboard that was there and then you know, like, I mean, people would always, like, play the keyboard. But eventually, like, um, you know, a student, one, one student um, called Joshua that, you know, was a day student and had been playing in a church, like, came and actually showed us that you could actually program sounds into the keyboard, right? And that fascination just, you know, pretty much was what I, I, I went with. Um, eventually, you know, would eventually just like make beats, um, program beats into the keyboard and then, you know, use them for stage performances um, on Sunday in the chapel and, you know, organize like, you know, raps and, you know, just like fun ways of, of expressing. Yeah. And eventually I would, I would even like learn, you know, Fruity Loops, which is a software for yeah, making yeah. music. Just yeah and it made sense because you know i was sort of like a tech native right i mean like things that had to do with like softwares or hardwares like naturally like fascinated me and so you know eventually i just started picking up things right just through that expressing you know trying to like make beats use a keyboard and all of that also noticing people i've noticed that when playing the keyboard you know people will they could just play like a solo by hitting notes but then, like, the harmonies usually came from, you know, trying to skip, like, you know, um, a single white key in between each other. So just those abstract things where well, yeah. I was just, you know, pretty much, like, col collecting and all of that. And, you know, I, I never really, like, learned any instrument per se. But then I just have, like, you know, a kind of a, a knowledge of the keyboard that, okay, yeah, you know, the keys go from, you know, like, a deep-sounding thing. And as you progress, you know, it kind of like starts going higher. So there's like a lot of, permit me to say, laymanism, right? Yeah. That, that, that came with my expression for music. But why, why I also find that interesting, right? Like, you know, pointing to, going back to, you know, like what you said about like, you know, music being, being hard to learn and like, you know, picking up an instrument and like learning all this theory. 
is that Victor Wooten's philosophy of music is that you the reason why the music is hard to learn is because we are trying to learn it, right? Mm. Um, and and so like when you have like a child who is just like speaking and you know learns to speak, you 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 have the child you know pretty much starting with like all those things like you know blah babbling and then moving on to saying things like dada and baba. And, yeah. you know, moving on to now even saying words like in the most muffled manner without any sort of judgment and without also any sort of self-consciousness, right? So we didn't start out learning language by learning what the vowels are, what the consonants are, you know, the phonetic symbols and, and you know, all that yeah. stuff. We started um, learning language by just pretty much like expressing throughout of all the abundance of what was in us that we wanted to let out, right? And so eventually, like, you know, just kind of like learning music production was the case for me. It was just always about like, okay, yeah, some bits in my head that I need yeah. to be able to express or to be able to bring out. And it's what really like made this, um, it's what made, um, you know, this book quite fascinating to me is that eventually, right? I mean, over time, I like passed through different phases in life had like lots of imposter syndrome and, you know, couldn't be able to really like express music, which was really like my core passion at some point in time. Mm. But then now it was showing me that, yo, actually the reason why, you know, there's sort of that historical context to maybe like how, how little I was able to express music at, at younger ages was because of the programming that came with, you know, like thinking of music either as like an occupation, right? Which is that, I mean, you won't be serious like trying to explore music because you can't, it's really hard to like make a living from that. Or, you know, um, on, the, on the more like practical side is that, you know, you need to learn music theory or you need to have a sense of like all the keys you're hitting and like yeah. all of that. And so, you know, like this book just basically like exposes you to that world where music is done more because like, just like the baby who is trying to speak and is just wobbling, you know, like with words, yeah. something that resides, something that is inside you and your instrument is only used to channel like, you know, the abundance of, yeah. you know, like what is in you. And so if you go by that, it then means that, you know, music is, uh, the expression of music takes a higher priority than you know, the accuracy of it or, yeah. you know, like how, how mm. well you're able to... So the expression you know, like the takes takes um, priority yeah. over the, yeah. the accuracy. Yeah. That's and fair because so, that, that has been my problem. Um, yeah. I am scared of venturing into the territory of stupidity because when you venture into something new, you are obviously a stupid person at that moment. Yeah. You are, do you yeah. understand? That's my fear. Yeah. I don't want to look stupid. Yeah, <laughs> like and, starting and, a new musical and instrument be, and the, the, the lack of patience. Um, is yeah, also that might be that might be also funny enough, like the inhibition, right? Yeah, and and for me, over time, why I why I'm still drawn to music is because it's it makes me more aware of my relationship with fear, right? Mm. It happens to be you know like a field where you are, it's almost like instantly programmed that you are scared of hitting the wrong notes, right? Mm. Yes, um, yeah. There's a question I, I'd usually ask pe people, which is, can you sing? And then, you know, they would say, oh no, um, 
I can't sing. But then everyone can sing, except yeah. you have like an issue with your vocal cords. Everyone really can sing. And everyone is always also comfortable singing in the comfort of their shower and just like yeah. singing because the music is inside them. It is sweet inside them. It's not what they are singing that's giving it meaning at that point in time. It's just really like that deep well of like, you know, expressiveness that, you know, is meant to be produced. So why it's really intriguing to me, this whole concept of music is just generally, it shows how like a lot of things we do not do in life eventually is because of like the programming and the rules that have been put in place, right? To either yeah. tell us that, you know, we need to align, you know, to the standards that have been set. Yeah. And so an interesting thing that Vitor Wooten talks of is, I mean, when you go by this theory or this philosophy is that there are no wrong notes, right? Just like how for the child, there were no wrong consonants or vowels or ways of like, yes, you know, pronouncing. Yes. And that means that you enter into that space of like, you know, freedom of expression. And then you're not worrying about the notes. Instead, you are just filled like, you know, you're not even like trying to worry. You're just filled with something that you're trying to bring out. And then the instrument is what you, you know, you used to bring out that no matter how, whether whether it's elegant or it's not, whether you are you are getting it right or not. And if you stress on, for instance, right, one of the elements of music, which is music, if you try to, um, you know, hit the right notes every yeah. time, then that will always pause the music inside you. It will pause the groove, you know. You will always skip a bit to then retrace, like, your step, right? Mm. So it's just like, you know, trying to, trying to walk and, like, advance and move forward. And then you have to, like, go back to then, like, you know, keep advancing. Yeah. But then instead, you'd find out, like, for instance, with the guitar, every wrong note you hit, the right note is just the next fret away right wow because like at the end of the day you could be hitting like something on like a different scale right but if you just slide your hand like just a little bit you can hit the right notes in quotes and then you can now make your way back to the notes that you were trying to hit right mm. so that's you know an example of how that was how, how you know that is applied like in terms of hitting notes and you know the accuracy of it no, that's 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 a fair one. I think I'm I'm going to I'll take to your advice and um, cause that that's that's the annoying thing about about this whole music thing. It's like I'm I love music so much, so much. Mm. I follow all this, all these deep musical guys. I watch yeah. YouTube. My YouTube video is filled up with music stuff, right? Mm. But yeah. to play music, <laughs> musical instruments is a problem. Um, yeah. but I think I'll take I'll take to your advice. I'll I'll probably read I'll read the book by Victor yeah. Wooten. And I, yeah. I used to enjoy Victor Wooten when I was when I was a lot younger. There was a there was a song he sang, one gospel I wouldn't say gospel song where he was like having a conversation with God. Mm. Um what's the title of this song? Something something God. I saw God. Yeah, I saw God. Interesting. Yeah, it's a fantastic music. Um fa- fantastic yeah. song. Um so yeah. he was like talking about having a conversation with God. Being face to face with him, so there was I yeah. think there was a lady singing also, but it was as he was telling the story, mm. it was and that's one thing that is interesting about Victor Wooten is he's not just a good storyteller with the musical instruments; he's also a good storyteller himself, right? 
So he was telling the story and he was also telling the story with his guitar at the same time. He was playing the guitar, his bass guitar, and um, and yeah. um, he was he was he was was insane. Um, there's yeah. this group I would lo- love you to check check out because there was one time I realized that there are levels to this music thing. Right, so there's baby music, there is music that you can just vibe with, and there is complex form of music. When yeah. I listen to these guys, I don't know if you know them, Snarky Poppy. <laughs> I, I, I suspected, so, but yeah, I know them. Yeah, you know Snarky Poppy. Also. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> they push the bounds of what we know. About yes, music. yes, you know. yes. You see a lot of complex stuff they do. And yeah. complex, yes, but it makes sense. Like when you listen to it, it does make yeah. sense. And then there is this guy, um, this pianist, Henry Corey. Yes, mm. Henry yeah. Corey. Yeah, when he plays, really, he's a, he's yeah, a crazy guy. yeah, he some really complex, some very very complex notes, and um, yeah, he, that's when you know that there are levels to this music. And that the yeah. annoying thing is, there are some complex notes they play, right? Yeah. That really core musical guys, we know that this is insane. But I'm in my head, I'm like, bro, you just played rock. Yeah, you know, right? <laughs> this thing doesn't make any sense. But you see, yeah. the core music guys, the guys that really understand the intricacy and the 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 difficulty in what they what they did. You see them appreciating yeah. the music more. That is where that that is my annoyance on myself. Mm. That mm. <laughs> I think I I do enjoy their music, but I know that I would enjoy it a lot more if I really understand what they are doing, because yeah. I know it is it's, it is it sounds good. But I would also yeah. love to understand the because I have a cousin so that that plays the guitar, and he really understands some of these things. So when he yeah. listens to people like Jacob Collier mm. or Henry Corey or um, there's this Hancock one elderly man, something like Hancock. Um, is 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 a is a legend. Um, on the piano, when they play, yeah. they are really complex notes and chords, and it's yeah. and it's like, yes, this is insane, this is mad, and yeah. I really don't understand what what is what is saying. Do you understand? Yeah. Um, that's why I think I think I need to take it a lot more serious to be able to really appreciate music a lot more, especially all these really complex forms of yeah. music. Yeah, I mean. For for me, what I actually like, what intrigues me about, or what intrigued me about listening to Snarky Poppy was, you know, like sort of this conventional. So we have like conventional forms of music. We have like stuff called time signatures that just basically like dictates how you know how the music is perceived. Like yeah. So we hear music in like bars and like lots of times like four bars like form a phrase. Yeah. Um. So you know like. We have like this, there's this subtle, like, you know, like, um, quiet clock that happens, right? Or like a metronome that happens. Yes. Where like the music we listen to is just basically like fitting and all the notes are hitting on the fourth bar. Yes, the, yes, on, yes. On the fourth mark. Um, but then, you know, you have that concept of time signatures, like totally transformed by, you know, Snarky Poppy, where they are playing stuff and when you expect it to hit on count four, yeah. Sometimes it sounds off bits, but it isn't yeah. off bits. It still exactly. sounds great. Exactly. They just mess with the symmetry of music. And I think that at the end of the day, right, it's like a lot of these people will learn all the music theory. In fact, I feel like the greatest musicians, they probably just learned like the everything that they needed to know about music for maybe like 10% of their, their entire lives. <laughs> right? Yeah. And every yeah. other thing that they 
sort of like you know learned about music or they were able to do you know like the magic they were able to do with music was in the other time that they spent playing the music and not actually like learning the music not learning right? it breaking and the so, rules exactly process. you know and so like why um you know this book also one thing that stood out to me is the fact that you know these concepts that really good musicians know how to play the music right but the really exceptional like masters of music know how you know to be played by the music so to speak right yeah it's that you know something that sounds like an offbeat thing it only makes sense if it feels good right Mm. and it's from like that's well it's from that well of feeling or just like that relationship that music has with you know feeling good and like sounding good that you know a lot of these things can then come when you explore them as yeah. like a form of play you know or you explore them when you are not necessarily like, like learning the key of of music so i think it's interesting and i think like every legend i hear so far yeah yeah that, that that's fair um th- this has been a fantastic conversation um, um yeah. i really really thank you for taking out your time um i think we've done this for about an hour 30 or 45 minutes i think this is the longest conversation yeah. i've had and this is oh, one wow. of the best conversations i've had in a long time um Wow. It's it's thanks a fantastic so one. I, I really appreciate it, bro. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was it was really great chatting. Yeah. And I think like I also learned like quite a lot. I took a lot of, you know, like points down, like stuff to like go check check back on. So yeah, yeah it was really great. Really that, great that, that that's fantastic. And um I think in the nearest future I think I would love to have you <laughs> once again. Um oh, that, that so, would be great. That so be do great. have a fantastic week. Um yeah. Thank you. And for everyone that is listening, um, thank you and God bless.